It's Wednesday. Woo! The Golden Stallion is here for another little, uh, well, we got a little Patreon Q&A for Wednesday, of course, per usual. I know sometimes it comes out on Thursday. I think that's only happened like twice, maybe two, three times. But uh, anyway, excuse me while I have a little drink here of, uh, boy, this, I'll tell you, Earl Grey tea, but with jasmine in it. Is it Twinnings or Twinings? I don't know how the fuck that's pronounced, uh, but that's the company. They they sell it. It's a pretty new thing. Oh, is it good with a little bit of jasmine? I'm usually not like a fan of jasmine green tea or anything. Stephanie loves the shit out of jasmine green tea. I mean, she loves it. Some people even like gifted her the really expensive kind, you know, that comes right from the right from the mountains <laughs> in Southeast Asia or wherever. Uh, and oh, it's good. That that like the rarer stuff, you can kind of taste sort of more of the earthiness, almost like a perrier tea. I, I really enjoy that. But this jasmine Earl Grey, mm, mm. boy, that's good. Uh, I mean, it kind of, it kills the bergamot a little bit, but yeah, I think it's good. Anyway, love tea Earl Grey hot. Yeah, I know you're waiting for a bald guy that loves Starfleet to say that. Actually, I don't love Starfleet, uh, but that's, (laughs) that's a whole other fucking story. (laughs) Because we have plenty of questions, plenty of questions um, to get into. Boy, I'll tell you though. Uh, I think I mentioned this last week at some point, or I think it was one during the live uh, Q&A hangouts, which uh, right now it looks like the next, the the June Q&A, live Q&A hangout, Google Hangout, is going to be probably next Thursday. I'm recording this on June 7th, 2017, so that would be, uh, I guess, the 15th, um, because this this month has just been... Well, the past three, four months really have been, 2017 has been crazy. I mean, like it's been just nonstop for me. Uh, so many different projects I've been working on and, and, and that I've had to, to get done, not just for myself and Sovereign Tech, uh, but for clients and other people. It's it's really been a hell of a, I mean, <laughs> it's it's been a tasking time. Um, and pretty much right now, my, my thoughts are, okay, I just got to make it past. I, I think I said this on the Sovereign Tech Prime episode this week. I just got to make it past um uh, pork fest and then everything will be fine, <laughs> but, but I got to make it past that. Uh, so anyway, yeah, uh, I did, uh, upgrade my, yeah, I mentioned this, that I upgraded my, uh, my Dell 7559 with, um, you know, with a, with a solid state drive, man, you know, like I'm still not a hundred percent, like there's still a part of me in the back of my head that is terrified of solid state drives. Like, you know, the fact that uh, you can't run things like Spinrite on them necessarily to repair them. I mean, Spinrite still has uses with solid state drives. I know that. But um, but the fact that you can't repair them so easily, data loss, you know, the limited read writes and all that. And I know I know there's incredible, like, you know, with NVMe and all that, a lot of this stuff is, is kind of getting resolved. But oh, there's still a part of me that is that that you know really holds back from getting one. But then when you do, and your laptop weighs like two pounds lighter, it feels like, and and it's so much quieter. That's almost the biggest thing. The biggest sell for me with SSDs isn't even so much the speed, even though the speed's been phenomenal. And uh, I mean, like it's crazy just how much faster this mach- this little machine's running now. Um, you know, with with a full M2 SSD in it. Uh, but the the quietness, like. I I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older. I mean, I'm 36, but, you know, I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older, but I want everything to be so quiet. Like, I don't want to hear a goddamn thing, (laughs) uh, at least when I'm not listening to metal. And, um, yeah, it's just that that is such a big selling point for the thing to be so quiet and to not hear that tick, 
you know, and all that other stuff. Because it seems like, I think hard drives, even the, even smaller hard drives, like they're so high capacity now, you know they're jamming in so many platters on, on the hard drives that like it can't help but make a noise. It used to be when you could, when, I mean, the theory used to go, I mean, this is how well and how thick, you know, hard drives used to be that you wouldn't really hear them making a sound. Like you couldn't really hear it. And it was when they started to make a sound that you knew they were bad. Now, like all hard drives just make a shit ton of noise uh, or all traditional hard drives make a shit ton of noise because they're just jamming in so many terabytes, uh, you know, into this ancient technology that, yeah, it, like it kind of can't help it. Uh, but boy, that's the big selling point for SSDs with me. Though I was looking, so my my Dell 7559 um, actually has, and, and this was really nice because when I, one of the things I was researching for it, like I didn't, I didn't do, obviously I didn't do a hard drive upgrade um, out of the gate, but it has a 2.5 inch slot. And that's where the traditional, well, is a hybrid drive. The hybrid drive, the hybrid drive that it came with was in. And then it has a separate M2 slot. Now I thought the M2 slot was underneath the 2.5 inch slot, but no, the M2 slot, which is, th- these things are, are so small. Folks, I'll tell you, if I, anyway, well, okay, let me finish the sentence. Like I, I was just, a, I was a, it was an awesome setup. And so I could load in like another 2.5 inch drive. Um, and like, I was even looking, I was like, okay, what do they got now? And granted, I was looking at traditional hard drives. Cause if I'm ever going to put like, it's a one terabyte SSD. If I was ever going to put in another hard drive, like I want maximum amount of storage and they have 2.5 inch, like five terabyte drives from Seagate for 200 bucks on Amazon. I put one in my wish list, a wish list at ZOG.ninja, but, <laughs> but I mean, holy shit. Like that, that's nuts. You know, the, I mean, and only 200 bucks, like that's almost worth hearing the noise when you know you have that much space in there. I mean, I could put, you know, my entire music collection, a bunch of, which is very sizable, mind you, uh, amongst other things. Boy, I could talk about my music, my music collection for a while, uh, because I've been really, really having a lot of trouble trying to find a good home for that. And I mean, I, you know, putting it on my, putting it on my, uh, uh, Synology, you know, on my NAS, um, like that's, that's been pretty nice, but, uh, there's, there's, I don't like the options that are out there. There's a lot of flaws going across the board. Anyway, the point I was going to say the, the funny comment I was going to make about M2 drives is that when you look at an M.2 drive, you know, when, when <laughs> this is just a crazy thought, okay, take it with a grain of salt. But when I used to talk about years ago on Sovereign Tech, when I said, it's like, you know, if, if an advanced civilization, say 15,000, 20,000, or even 100,000 years ago, was on Earth, an advanced, you know, Homo sapien style civilization was here, and say they advanced to the level that we're at now, and they had been advanced to that level for a while to where everything was either augmented reality or all of, you know, all the data that they had as a civilization was being stored on hard drives and all that stuff. This was before M.2 drives were like even a big deal. Um, like when you look at an M.2 drive and how much information that that can hold, well, it's no fucking wonder you can't find any evidence of a civilization that existed a hundred thousand years ago. Cause they probably stored it on shit so small that, that like you, you, you'd never find it and, it and it would, you know, biodegrade in a heartbeat. <laughs> so, <laughs> or at least, I mean, not, not, you know, after a thousand years, I can't see why it would survive. I mean, it's just remarkable just how the amount of, you know, the amount of data that's getting stored and how small, you know, so many of our devices are today. It's, it's really incredible. So anyway, um, <laughs> just a side note there, but I, I mean, really you look at an M.2 drive and you're like, yeah, that's the future. I mean, it looks like a fucking isolinear chip off the enterprise. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's crazy. And you can buy ones that are more than one terabyte. Wow. You know? 
So anyway, uh, yeah, I've had M.2 drives before. It's just like it, it really impressed me just how slick this went in. And, and, and you really get the sense of, okay, this is, this is how you can make these, these laptops so goddamn slim these days. Not that, uh, not that my 7559 is really that slim. But okay, let's get into the questions. Sorry, I hope I didn't bore you with all that little, uh, all that little bit of, of shop talk. But here we go. Um, let's see. This was so I, I got a couple of questions that are kind of that are kind of related, and then I'm going to get into another question that had that, that was sort of bouncing off of um, that. I guess I'll start off with the one I want to talk about. We're going to talk. It seems like it's been happening every week. We we have not a lot of tech stuff to talk about. We're just going to open up a little bit of tech stuff and it's a little bit of blockchain, um, and then we'll we'll get into other, some other things. Um, got a hell of a story that I have lined up at least right now for this week where the guardian was pretty much saying that crypto anarchism, um, is the future and that like this right wing populism and all that, like that, it's just like, it's going to go the way of the dodo eventually because, you know, crypto anarchism is effectively going to take over. And I, I thought that was amazing, which spoke very well. And I'll mention this in, in sovereign tech, if I get to the story that, you know, in episode 200 of sovereign tech, I came right out and said that, like the open source movement, the crypto movement and all that, they we've won. Like it's it's really over. You know, everything else is just death throes. Like anything that Microsoft's doing, anything that uh uh Google's doing or whatever, like like it's all death throes. You, you know, it's 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 and anything the government tries to do to legislate against it, against it, it's death throes. Like I read that Guardian article uh, about crypto anarchism, which was amazing to see the term crypto, you know, just like we talked about in last week's Sovereign Tech, it was amazing to see what was a global ANCAP revolution, that that was in a story from The Atlantic. For The Guardian to to even talk about crypto anarchism uh, was mind-boggling to me. I was, I was, you know, like, whoa. But also, I mean, admittedly, that article was describing what was also in episode 200, which was the leaked from The Intercept, the leaked uh, Pentagon video that was talking about like, not, I don't think it was the year 2020 is like the year 2024 or something. I'm going to, I'm going to talk a bit about what I talked about in episode 200 in the upcoming episode of Sovereign Tech, because like, I, I think it's so relevant that finally the rest of, you know, <laughs> the rest of the media is finally catching on that, that all of this is, is really, uh, you know, really a thing. So, but we've already known that, that we've won. And part of the reason we've won is, is cryptocurrencies. Um, I've said this many times that, you know, like things like dark Android and a lot of the things we want to do wouldn't be possible if it weren't for the ability to store money in a cryptograph cryptographic decentralized fashion. Um, and you know, that, that being with cryptocurrencies, obviously. So, uh, a couple to talk about here. One is, uh, let's see. Well, I'll start. So I was going to talk about made safe and dash. I guess the first one I'll, I'll talk about is made safe. Um, let me, uh, yeah, let's start off with that, even though Dash might have been the more pertinent about it. Um, let me read, actually, uh, the question from the person. Um, let's see. I'm wondering if you can if you can comment on your current opinion of MadeSafe. I was high on it initially and on your suggestion. However, with Paige, of course, that being Pixel, Paige Peterson herself, uh, and we love Paige Peterson on Sovereign Tech, uh, leaving, uh, leaving and stuff like, or, you know, page leaving and stuff like these sources coming out. And there's a link, uh, that, that was sent that was from, a, an ex engineer, software engineer, uh, contracted to, for, to MadeSafe, um, who raises a, a bunch of uh, varying concerns. Um, I am beginning to have some doubts. So yeah, I, uh, I share 
those those doubts uh, with you. In fact, it's a pity because I think it was about a year ago, like maybe almost to the month when they announced their alpha or beta or something along those lines. I remember in TechCrunch and I was very excited about it. Uh, one of my concerns at the time that I thought was supposed to be a very short term resolution as far as I know, it's still going on. It's not, it's not something that they've, they've completely walked away from. And that is uh, DigitalOcean offers what they call droplets, which are these like, it's like, it's a, it's a small selection of system resources that can, that, that can be cheaply rented out to operate like, like a server. It's not just like a server. It's, it's, it's very, it's very different. Um, but anyway, it's a pretty, like DigitalOcean offers some pretty cool technologies, droplets included. Um, but they're still sticking with those. And as long as they're using droplets, they're not, it's not the distributed peer-to-peer decentralized technology because it's actually using a, effectively a server as a backend, um, which that's the whole point of MadeSafe is for it not, is, is to get rid of servers entirely. Um, now, I think getting rid of servers is still possible. In fact, it's possible without made safe. Like, I mean, there's other, there's other technologies that, that could be used, um, you know, to achieve this kind of thing. Now it's not going to do kind of the, the sandbox trick that is really what makes made safe. So interesting The sandbox trick being that, and apparently they have a patent on this is the ability to, um, which having the patents kind of concerning in itself, but whatever, uh, you know, made safe, what it's supposed to be able to do is, is that it takes varying, whatever system resources, like you would install the made safe client on your computer. Okay. And maybe in the future, it even work on phones or something, right? You would install it onto your computer and then you would tell the client that you install the software you install. You would tell it how much system resources, like maybe how many cores, how much RAM, how much hard drive space, etc., that you want to offer to MadeSafe, okay? And then it would use that to bolster the safe network. Within the hard drive space that you give it, it would store varying bits of data. It wouldn't store anything in its complete form. Like torrents, you kind of store things in their complete form and then you just distribute it around, okay? But you wouldn't store any data in its complete form. Like say it was a movie file or something. You'd only have bits and pieces of the, of the movie file. You wouldn't have the whole thing, um, but the whole thing would exist, you know, on the entire safe network, on everybody's computers, right? Um, you know, but nobody would, would have, would effectively have the complete thing. I mean, you could just drag it out of the mate, you know, download it from the safe network and you could have it. It's not like you lost it forever or something. Um, but you would be able to access it just like if you did have the complete file on your computer. Okay. And that's what the safe network was, you know, really supposed to like bring to fruition. Like this is supposed to be as literally as distributed and as decentralized as, as you could possibly fucking get to where, you know, you don't even need like massive hard drives or anything anymore. Um, everything just works on like this, this, you know, collective network of devices. Uh, it's, it's a, I mean, it's a brilliant idea and one that I was very, was and is still very excited about. However, made safe. I mean, there's other, there's other ones that there's, was it Freenode? I think it, I think it's no, not Freenode. That's the IRC. Sorry. That's the IRC. Uh, uh, network. Um, oh shit. <laughs> That's terrible. Now, now I can't think of it, but there's, there's other technologies out there that are kind of doing the same thing. Just, they don't have, nobody uses it because it, they don't have the, uh, the, the unique part of the made safe was that it had a cryptocurrency built into it. Safecoin, right. That would allow you that, that would incentivize 
you to use the safe network because you could make money off of, uh, you know, doing it. Uh, I mean, there's just other things involved. There's farms and, and, and all this different stuff. Uh, but I mean, you know, the, the kind of the ability to do this is sort of out there, uh, but not, not to the level that MadeSafe wanted to do it. And I don't necessarily, oh, bottom line, I'm not excited about MadeSafe any, uh, really anymore. I don't, I question, there, there's a part of me that even feels, and I could be dead wrong about this, there's a part of me that feels like that switching to Rust, to the Rust programming language, which I love the Rust programming language. I think it's a brilliant thing. Okay, kudos to Mozilla for, you know, bringing that into fruition. But I, I, I almost feel like that might have been a stall tactic to buy more time to say like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to recode everything, blah, 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 you know, and, and but we're going to use this really great language that's going to make it a lot easier, which I'm not saying Rust wouldn't. I just, I don't know. Now, I mean, the fact that as far as I know, they're still using droplets from, from DigitalOcean and whatever, like I'm beginning to wonder if this kind of ability, like, like if this is really even possible. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just that that's the point I'm at. And I don't know if the MadeSafe team, and look, I love these people. You know, I don't, like, I mean, I really love these people. I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. It all seems very speculative right now, and I get it that it takes time for, you know, especially for something like this that is such a gigantic game changer, but yeah, I'm debating whether or not the, the team there can, can really deliver on this. That's that's just my thoughts on it. Um, and the link that was sent to me, maybe I'll, I'll pop it in the show notes for this Q&A episode. Uh, I, I mean, the guy the guy brought up some very valid concerns that... Yeah, I don't know if this is ever, you know, ever really going to be a thing. I mean, now you can use something like RetroShare, right? Which that's not, that doesn't allow for like, I mean, yeah, it does the HT, but it doesn't really allow for where you're not storing entire files on your computer. I mean, like the, the exciting part about that is that like, say, say somebody wants to get after you with copyright law. Look, if you don't hold an entire movie file or, or MP3 or whatever on your on your hard drive, what the fuck can they sue you for? What can they go after you for? If it's just all on this, you know, kind of safe network and made safe, isn't like actually maintaining it in any kind of centralized way they, they, they can't go after anybody. I mean, that's so exciting. That's one of the freeing aspects of it. Um, as we're with RetroShare, RetroShare is awesome. Um, I'm signed up on it. In fact, there is a post made in the community section on the Patreon page where I put my key there. If you want to add me into RetroShare, I'm already chatting away with patrons on that. That's good. That's going to be a patron perk is the RetroShare, uh, uh, network. And, uh, one of, one of the, one of the Sovereign Tech patrons is actually set up to where you could download Babylon 5 and all this different stuff, you know, uh, but understand that a lot of that has to be kept on a singular machine and, uh, you know, I mean, so RetroShare isn't allowing for that that distribution of the data bits, you know. <laughs> so, but RetroShare is still great, and it's probably next to next to having made safe. I would say that RetroShare is probably uh, probably the best technology out there for right now for creating a completely alternative um, uh, worldwide web. Well, really, not, a completely alternative internet. I don't mean the internet infrastructure, like all the wires and the fiber and everything. But I mean, as far as like what makes up the internet, you know, SMTP, uh, you know, the World Wide web, etc. Uh, yeah, you know, or Usenet or something, or even IRC. Like, I mean, you can replace IRC functionality within RetroShare. RetroShare is easily the best thing going. It is, it's, it's near criminal 
how little uh, exposure RetroShare gets because it is so fucking well done and it is such an important technology and it's so cool what it can do. Somehow I'll find it. I've been talking about it for years. Like I've been on top of it for so, so long. Somehow I, I got to figure out how to get people, you know, to jump on board with it. Maybe I'll make like an ad for RetroShare and I'll play it in the episodes or something. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so yeah, made safe. Yep, I my my concerns are... There's the possibility that this isn't possible, <laughs> to, you know, to do this sort of thing. And, but my bigger concerns are is that, yeah, maybe, you know, may, maybe the development team just, to, just doesn't have the chops, uh, you know, to make it happen. And maybe they don't, maybe they're running out of money. Maybe they don't have enough runway to, to, to make it happen, um, which is kind of a shame. And I, I know there was some funny business with the ICO, not on MadeSafe's part, on other people to handle the ICO. Uh, which is very unfortunate that, that that happened that way. I don't blame MadeSafe for that one. Um, there, there's there's some real concerns out there. So anyway, that's that's my thoughts on it. I, I'm not I'm not bullish on on MadeSafe whatsoever uh, right now. So take that uh, take that for what you want. Uh, let's see. Let's go to all right the Dash question. Um, do you have any thoughts on Dash? I can guess you're not particularly a fan of it since you've talked you haven't talked about it recently. But is that just because you don't like the implementation or something more nefarious that you think is occurring? Um, I don't have like I mean I know there's people that have huge issues with Dash and they think that Dash is like some kind of scam, like overall some kind of like crazy long term scam. Uh, I'm sensitive to those kind of you know because I, you know to those kind of arguments because I think that. In the blockchain space, it behooves you to automatically assume any new blockchain technology is a scam. Like that is absolutely the default position you should have when you're looking at any, any, any blockchain technology, especially ones that, that kind of do ICOs, even though that Dash didn't really do an ICO. Um, I've talked about in the past, the reason I never got excited about Dash is back when it was Darkcoin, it... Um, like it had a list of of goals it was trying to reach, like trying to be like GPU resistant, a bunch of different stuff. Um, and it was failing all of them inside of like a very short period of time. And so I just didn't have any confidence in the coding team there. But now Dash is like a legit thing. Uh, I don't have, I, I really don't have any like major, major issue with it. Uh, I don't get excited about it because I, it's, the technology is based on is so vastly inferior to zero knowledge proofs. I mean, vastly inferior. Uh, in fact, I think Dash knows that and that's why they're going for a larger feature set. And it, and that's another thing too. Like, I mean, that that's kind of a problem I have and that's more of an abstract thing, not really a technical. Uh, I mean, it, it, it can affect security in the long run, but um, is that it really seems to be trying to do so much as to where, I mean, and there was a time where I wanted that out of cryptocurrencies like NXT and some others. Uh, but now I'm, I'm really at the mindset where I want things to be very, almost single purpose or, you know, very basic in their implementations and everything. And Dash looks like they're trying to become much more of a platform, um, which, I mean, it's nowhere near to what Ethereum's trying to do. But I don't know, like that, that, that doesn't really uh, excite me so much. Um, I mean, you know, but if someone, if that excites somebody, it's a different mindset. You have a different opinion and a different thing that you want out of this sort of thing. I want all of these different currencies to exist. So again, I don't have a huge issue with Dash. The one thing, and this is, again, this is also is not a technical, like Dash hires a lot of people to like advertise for them. I don't have a problem with people advertising for it. 
I think it's fucking creepy. And I think it, it is against their best interests to have everybody wearing fucking dash t-shirts. Like I really do. Like it looks cultish. Uh, the way that the way that people like if Dash wanted to advertise on Sovereign Tech, I'd let him. Absolutely. I, I it's, it's, you, yeah, sure. Go for it. You know, um, but like I'm not going to wear their fucking T-shirt. And, you know, I would tell them as somebody I mean, I'm an ad, you know, I've been an ad exec in, in the past. I mean, like I, I understand marketing. OK, and I, I would tell them, uh, no, you don't want to do that. You want to keep this really, really simple, really basic. You know, do not turn this into some kind of, you know, religious fervor. And I feel like that's a lot of what goes on. That goes on for a lot of cryptocurrencies. Same thing happens with Monero, where like the Monero people, they they are all, all in on Monero. And that seems to be the same thing with Dash, where people seem to be all in on Dash. That That's bad. You Because, I mean, you're, you're supporting a monoculture of technology and currency, neither of which you ever fucking want. You just don't want it. I say it all the time, but there it is again. You don't want that. So I get a little worried about the community with, with Dash as well. It seems, a, it really seems, you know, way too cultish. Uh, and I get it. They want their, you know, they want their currency to make a ton of money so they can become, you know, Bitcoin billionaires, like, like a lot of people are right now, uh, or millionaires, whatever. But, uh, yeah. So no, I don't really have a huge problem with it. I just also don't get very excited about it. So I don't talk about it. Um, and, and I think it's important not to like constantly prop up every little technology that comes up. It's hilarious. I've gotten accused by people of being a pump and dumper. Or, uh, that, that's, that's, that's fucking stupid. I so rarely, in fact, I make it a point not to talk about blockchain shit anymore. Um, that no, I, I'm, I'm not that at all. Zcash genuinely excites me. Uh, you know, Bitcoin is genuinely awesome. Litecoin, I've touted Litecoin forever. Um, I've made, like, I've made a couple bad calls in the past. Um, I've always been against Ethereum. Uh, there was a time where I was intrigued by BitShares. Uh, that didn't last long. Uh, NXT I was excited about. And, you know, things that are largely out of anybody's control really happened to that. It's where NXT, I think, could have had a genuinely bright future. But there's that theft that... You know, people, the NXT community reacted properly to, but the rest of the world did not have confidence in it after that fact. Um, whole slew of ideas. And I know Ethereum, like, might be a big deal in Russia now. Well, hmm? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm sure Russia is very excited about Ethereum because, you know, what have I always said Ethereum could become? What, what did I, I think I said it last week on Sovereign Tech, Tyranny of the Code. So what a shock that Russia would, you know, and that, that Putin would shake hands with uh, Vitalik Buterin, right? There wasn't there that picture going around or something, if, if that's all, you know, <laughs> on the up and up. Uh, not, not surprising to me at all. Uh, and, and it actually kind of speaks to hmm, just how Ethereum could get used. And maybe I was right on some of that. But regardless, yeah, no real problem with Dash. I, it just it just doesn't do anything for me. It's not, it, you know, to, to me, it, it's an inferior product. That doesn't mean I don't want it to exist. Like I said, I don't want a monoculture. I want, I have a billion inferior products out there. Okay. But yeah. So, you know, there, that's, that's just my, my thoughts on it. Not, not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with it. Um, okay. Why don't we get into, let's get into the more of the philosophical stuff. That's what we have for the rest of the show. We're going to talk a little defooing. Woo. Uh, and, but the first one is, and this actually kind of bounced off the question of, of dash, even though it was, Completely separate question, completely separate topic. Um, and this has to do, this is uh, obviously in response to the Wonder Woman review, um, the movie Wonder Woman, that uh, Stephanie and I did 
Uh, now, you don't need to have heard that review and you don't need to have seen Wonder Woman to understand this question and what's going on. So don't worry about that. Don't, don't turn me off. Um, but, uh, yeah, the Stephanie and I did this past Saturday, which uh, a lot of people really, really enjoyed. As far as I know, a lot of people really enjoyed the movie as well, um, you know, regardless of how they felt about it. I mean, because let's be clear here. Like, like I said, I don't think Wonder Woman was this grand feminist movie. You know, some people make an argument for why they think it was and what and what they wanted out of it. And they got that. And OK, you know, I mean, that's the beauty of art is sometimes you can get, you know, it can be somewhat subjective and, and you can get uh, and no art is not all subjective. I'm sorry. No, no, it's no, it's not. Don't don't even get me started on that. Um, there is art that is objectively more skillful. You can't. I mean, it's just objective. Okay, (laughs) because talent is something that can be measured in an objective way. So, no, art is not is not entirely subjective. Sorry. Um, Hate to break that to you. But anyway, uh, yeah, but I mean, but there's obviously subjectivity in art as well, you know, certainly. And and some people got out of it what they wanted. Um, As I said about Wonder Woman, I said that, look, it's not what I wanted it to be, but it's great for but what it is, is is solid. It's excellent. It's great. You know, like I, I really like the movie. I like it a lot. Um, definitely one of the best superhero movies, um, ever made in my opinion, uh, just, just, just straight up. We might talk about comic book movies later if we have time. Uh, but it's, it's not what I expected, you know, and I don't consider it to be like this feminist, uh, insurgent film of any kind. Most feminists are actually complaining about the film. Uh, and also keep in mind feminism, as I said, on a recent you know, live Q&A hangout. Feminism has a lot of, there's a lot of different types of feminism. There isn't just one, you know, when somebody's just attacking like feminism in the abstract, um, you know, like, like there's, there's a problem there because there's so like, what type of feminism are we talking about? A lot of people, and I'll give them a little bit of credit. A lot of people are like, well, you know, I'm, my problem is with third wave feminism. Okay. Uh, maybe you are talking about the entirety of feminism. There's certainly arguments to be made about that. Uh, but anyway, let's, um, let's, let's read the question here. Uh, I am interested in some further clarification on the male gaze issue. Now to understand male gaze, that's male G-A-Z-E, not gays as in homosexuals, okay? Male gays. Um, this is a concept that a lot of cinematography, and not just cinematography, but in all kinds of art, that there is a uh, an automatic or like an inherent or uh, unconscious bias that the, you know, what, how you see the art is through the lens of what a guy wants to see. Like if, uh, like the example I think that Stephanie gave is a great one where in um, uh, The Dark Knight Rises, where, you know, you're constantly getting, like the director, obviously Christopher Nolan, is doing shots of Catwoman, played by uh, the gorgeous Anne Hathaway, uh, you know, on her ass, like while she's riding on the motorcycle. And like, it's so gratuitous that it's like constantly on her ass, right? That's male gaze, you know, as to where, like, say, if it was Patty Jenkins who directed Wonder Woman, the shot would probably be maybe more of a long shot, um, just showing her looking badass on, you know, badasses in like in action, not as in like showing her ass uh, on the motorcycle. And Wonder Woman had this complete lack. And I agree, it did. It had this complete lack of male gaze. Like, I mean, there was no like cameras looking up her, you know, up her, uh, 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 you know, uniform or at her ass or anything like that. It was all like, nope, stick to the action and what's, what's going on. And, uh, and I thought that that was, um, that was pretty cool. So, oh, just got a, <laughs> just got a retro share notification just now. Anyway, um, 
Yeah, so that's what, that's what male gaze is. So let's read on with the question a bit here. Um, I agree that it can at least be bad cinematography and in art in general if shots are gratuitously focusing on female anatomy and that the same can be said if shots are gratuitously focusing on male anatomy. What I was wondering is that are you and Stephanie in line with that or is it that there is something objectively bad about female objectification? Uh, Basically, my question is, the principle that object, object, why am I having a hard time with that word? Objectification is bad per se. Uh, the, the principle that objectification is bad per se, or that only objectification of women is bad and objectification of men is either neutral, good, or the worst option, in my opinion, that due to history, it should be actively pursued in some sort of male comeuppance and men shouldn't say anything about it. Um, so, and then it says, thank you for your consideration. Yeah. Um, so objectification, this is such a huge subject. <laughs> and I don't know if I could exactly, you know, get, get to it on all of this. Uh, the problem with male gaze, wow, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so here's the thing. Like, a lot of these are, like, brought up traditionally by, you know, by feminist critics and whatever else. Like, I don't even feel qualified a lot of times to talk about this sort of thing because, like, do I mind seeing Anne Hathaway's ass? No, <laughs> right? Um, but do I understand kind of what people are saying is that, wow, you know, we're just constantly treated, you know, women saying we're constantly treated like a piece of meat right down to the unconscious levels in which we're displayed in art. Uh, you know, that, that, that that's a problem and that lends itself perhaps to something like rape culture. Now understand, rape culture is about a lot more, okay, than just rape. You have, you have like, than just the physical inaction of, or, you know, the physical action of rape. Rape culture is about culture in general. And I mean, some people want to apply male gaze kind of to that. Is that, oh, you, you know, like this is where the idea of, oh, she was asking for it, you know, kind of comes from because she's dressed like that. Well, it's, be, you know, why did that person think that that way? And that's because in the movies, the way, you know, the women are put on display and whatever else with this male gaze is that, oh, yeah, this is the signal that they do want it and everything. Right. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, this, this is just a massive, massive subject. Um, so I am going to try and address it, but. I totally admit to, uh, you know, this is something that, that, that could be talked about for hours and that maybe people that, uh, it more affects, you know, kind of become an issue. I mean, like, you know, because one of the arguments that people will bring up is that guys, um, in general, you know, like that guys, oh, we want to be treated like a piece of meat, right? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, well, no, not every guy wants to be, wants to be treated like a, you know, like a piece of meat or something. Um, yeah, I, I would say objectification across the board is, you know, is, is generally bad. Now, the, th- the real problem here, and I, I guess maybe this is the best way to kind of answer this, okay? The real problem is that it is so unconscious. It is. You know, one of my favorite directors of all time is Russ Meyer. Okay, you know, Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill. Like, I mean, this, this guy, I mean, this guy's a legend. You know, director from the 60s and all that. I mean, and he was known for making movies with voluptuous women in it and a lot of gratuitous shit and, and all this. But you have to understand, like, the, those, like, people knew what they were getting into. When you go to, when you watch a Russ Meyer film, you know exactly what it's about. Like, there's a point to what could be considered the objectification. I mean, and, and at that point, 
it almost doesn't become objectification, it becomes celebration of, say, the female form or of, like, this campy ridiculousness and, and, and things like this. Uh, you know, a lot of people think, I mean, here, here's, here's a great example, okay? A lot of people think that, like, the miniskirts in Star Trek, um, that that is, that, that's objectification of women, that they had to wear that stuff. But the thing is, people take it out of context. You don't understand that the miniskirt in the 60s, in the 50s and 60s, was so rebellious against the status quo. It was not about objectifying women. It was the exact opposite. It was about celebrating women. And for Star Trek to put that on display made total fucking sense. You know, now it can, it, that can kind of go full circle to where suddenly, you know, little skirts do become, you know, objectification, right? And then, you know, for say, you know, sticking within Star Trek as an example. And then when you get to, you know, Star Trek Voyager um, or whatever else, where women are wearing pants, like that is seen as the more rebellious thing at the time. So you got to keep things into, you, know, you have, you have to consider context. Just like Russ Meyer's films were, you know, really, really rebellious in that saying, no, you know, we can celebrate women. We can show off women. Fuck your conservatism. Fuck your, you know, you thinking that, uh, uh, you know, I mean, like you have to understand kind of the boardroom conversations that were had in Hollywood, you know, at the time. Um, well, here's another Gene Roddenberry story for you. Uh, Gene Roddenberry was making a movie, what was it called, The Quester Tapes? Or it was supposed to be like a TV show or something, which was about this kind of robotic character. It was actually very much, you can tell, like that was supposed to be like a, it was a precursor to to Commander Data, right? From from Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, and this was in the, you know, in the, in the 60s here, in like the 70s. And the board, you know, he talked about it. He said, you know, in, in the executives, you know, in, in, in the room, he was talking to all the TV executives and everything for the Quester tapes. And they pretty much all came to the conclusion. They said, no, you're, we're not going to let you go forward with this because there's a scene where the robot fucks a woman. And, you know, pretty much the answer that the executives came up with is that, do you want to, you know, do you want to think that your sister or daughter or whatever else got fucked by a robot? And that's why they wouldn't let the Quester tapes go forward. That simple of shit. You see, so, so I mean, so there's times where like kind of this overt sexuality and what could be, what could be perceived as objectification uh, is, is actually the really rebellious anti-status quo, anti-establishment action, right? And, you know, or, or, or that it's not, even, it's not even about objectification, it's about celebration. So the problem with male gaze is, and, and look, I know this is tough. It's it, like to, to want to consider it and to think about it. I mean, all I can say is, is that for me as a guy, you know, when I read a lot of these feminist critiques and everything, and I got a ton of questions about feminism this week after the Wonder Woman review. This is just one of, one of many. Um, and I've gotten them in the past too, and, and, and that's fine. Uh, I don't think I'm going to get to them right here. And like I said, I don't, I don't 100% feel qualified even really to... Because a lot of them don't affect me. But, but you know, speaking of the, of the don't affect it, like, you know, I read about the concept of male gaze and I'm just like, okay, yeah, I get it. And then suddenly, you know, and, and I can watch a movie and I can instantly recognize. I mean, 
Stephanie and I, I, we, I took her to see The Dark Knight Rises and we watched it. And as soon as I saw that scene with the motorcycle, I'm like, oh, come on. Like, I know what you're doing. And, and I knew it was the concept of male gaze. So, like, I think a lot of people are like, well, how do I know? How can I follow the rules? I, how do I pay attention to the signals and all that? Look, I don't know. Okay, I read, the, I read the critiques and I completely understand what they're saying. And somehow, me as a guy, a very, just speaking conventionally, I don't buy into this shit. Okay, but just speaking conventionally, somehow me, I mean, I am a big guy. I am a, I'm a you know, and I've had people say this to me. I am a man's man. You understand? But somehow none of this bothers me or offends me. And, and that's one of the biggest things about a lot of feminist critiques. It's just like, or, or, or critiques, not feminist critiques. Feminist critiques are critiques that feminists make. Critiques of feminism, which is critiques of feminists, right? You know, a lot of critiques of feminists, like, or, or concerns over the, over the complaints that feminists make, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I don't understand. What, 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 what is the outcome that everybody's, what is this terrible dystopian future that everybody's expecting to happen? Like, I, I read their points and I'm like, oh. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, you know, and, and I go forward and it doesn't change a thing about me. <laughs> like, like it doesn't, it doesn't bother my masculinity. It doesn't bother like any aspect of me. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying the emailer's doing that. I know the emailer, great guy. Okay. I, and, and, and his, his point is, is genuine intellectual inquiry. Okay. But I'm just saying, I don't understand where all these fucking complaints come from. Like, like that, that this is causing this, 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 and, and that, and people saying they can't keep track of, oh, how they're supposed to react to this or react to that. I don't get the hard, I don't get what's so hard about it. You know, you read about it and it's like, okay, I got it. And, and then suddenly you have, you know, this is just another lens that you add to your, uh, you know, to your mind's eye and that you can see things for what they are. So I'm not sure how I got on that tangent. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, the problem is, is when it's seen as being unconscious, no one's saying you can't be sexy on film. No one's saying men can't be men or women can't be sexy on film or on screen or, you know, in a comic book or whatever you totally can. And you can make it a point to where things are designed to be overt and over the top and ridiculous. And you could even have, here's the thing. You could even have that, that, that same scene with Catwoman, right? on the motorcycle, showing her ass. You could put that, like, say, in a Russ Meyer film, and guess what? And I don't know why this is a hard thing to consider, but it, or why this is a hard concept to understand. But really, it do, it's not objectification anymore. Okay? Like, that's not male gaze anymore. It's, it's quite the opposite. In fact, I mean, honestly, like, you know, you can make things... I mean, a lot of women are bisexual, right? Well, I mean, a lot of people, you know, in general, not just women, men, you know, are, a lot of people are bisexual. So... You know, is it male gaze then? Yeah, it, well, it, I mean, it, it, as far as with like the, the, the Catwoman scene, yeah, it, it still is. Uh, because the idea is, is again, is that objectification of women. I, I know I'm, I'm probably making a mess of all this. Um, but no, yeah, the real problem is, is that no, I, I don't want, I really don't want objectification across the board, man or woman. Like that, that just doesn't need to be, you know, unless... Again, understand, unless it's meant, you know, meant to, to be that way, right? Like, un unless, not, not, not to be objectifying, but instead it's like, you know, that the film is all about, say, celebration or being campy or something like this. But when it's serious as a heart attack, like The Dark Knight Rises was, um, yeah, that's, that's like un unconscious objectification and, and it, it, it's, it's fucking annoying and it's insulting to anybody involved.
Uh, what can, you know, should the actors walk away and say, oh shit, I'm not doing that? Well, they don't always know. I mean, cause a lot of the stuff gets done in the editing room. A lot of times you have two, three cameras set up and you have two, three different angles and you never know which one they're going to use. And you also have the bean counters. You have the boardroom execs that walk in and say, oh no, you show her ass, you know, and things like this a lot. Of, I mean, it, especially when it comes to making film, like it's so tough for, for one per one individual to have any idea of what's really going on. Um, I mean, the way a script is, I mean, movies get made in the editing room and actors have no control of what's in the editing room. I mean, like they can say later on, I mean, maybe they could put in their contract that they get to see the film before it gets released or something. But I guarantee you, and I know there's been actors that have done that. They don't get movie roles anymore because no one wants to deal with that shit, you know, to where they, they would, they would pay millions of dollars in the editing room and then find out you need to fucking change it you know, because some actor didn't like something that happened. I'm not saying I don't understand why the actor would do that. Of course, I understand why they do that. But, you know, you're not going to get hired if, if that's, the, that's the way you're thinking. So, you know, I, like I'm not mad at Anne Hathaway for not sticking up for herself as a woman saying you're objectifying me, motherfucker. Uh, or maybe, I mean, and this is something else to consider, maybe she likes that. And we know Anne Hathaway's, you know, kind of a sexual freak. And I say that with uh, you know, I, I say that with endearment. I don't say that with uh, as, as, as derogatory, right? Um, you know, so so may, maybe she's into that. Maybe she wanted that shot. You know, those are things to consider. But there is a real problem of, of continual sexual objectification, and it's being done unconsciously. It's not part of the script. It may not really even belong there. I have a huge problem where sexuality and violence are constantly being put on display together. Uh, no, that, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a, that's a cultural trope that just needs to fucking go away. You know, uh, let sex be sex without having it be some kind of reaction to violence. I mean, one of my favorite shows of all time, uh, Spartacus, you know, d does that nonstop. I mean, there's, there's, fortunately it's, it's like three quarters sex, one quarter violence, but it's still like, it seems like they just have to do that. They can't let things just be sexy. They got to toss in some violence quick, which I think that that creates a very, very strange cultural picture and, 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 and creates, can create, you know, very strange association associations in the human mind, um, that, that are, you know, that are a real issue. So, uh, yeah, yeah. The principle of objectification is, is bad, like out of the gate. Um, and I think Stephanie would agree with that. You know, that it doesn't need to be either way. Um, men, you know, no, men don't need to be. I mean, this is, you know, here, here's another thing to understand about feminism. And this is largely, again, bunch of different types of feminism. Most types of feminism, though, would tell you that, you know, the patriarchy, the great enemy, hurts men as much as it hurts women. Because it expects men to be such and such, you know, either the, you know, the disposable male or, you know, the big muscular guy and all this different stuff. Not that you can't take on the big muscular guy as like a positive attribute or anything, but, but that it becomes, it becomes a societal expectation of you to fill in the, for men to fill in those roles. Okay. So most feminists would also say that, yes, male objectification is bad. You know, like, like it, it's, it's bad across the board to stop objectifying people, let them be known for their brain, Right. Uh, which a lot of art is an intellectual exercise. And so, you know, that's okay. But again, you know, understand that all of this can be turned right upside down if it's being done with the purpose of celebration, right? Like a Russ Meyer film um, or, you know, or, or something else. So, you know, it, it gets called male gaze because largely it's, it's being done um, by, you know, by male um, 
you know, by male directors, male cinematographers, male artists, male, you know, I mean, you can even kind of get male gaze in writing, like, you know, in a, in a novel that, that can, that can sort of be a, a thing, believe it or not. Um, but it's just paying attention to that. Like, is the purpose, you know, like what's the purpose of what you're seeing or reading or whatever, you know, like, is there a good reason to have the shot kind of be like that? And you could say, well, the good reason is to sell tickets because you get to see Anne Hathaway's ass or something. Um, sure. You can, you could think that way, but like, you know, doesn't that speak something kind of strange about culture in general? You know, and, and look, obviously I'm not approved. I mean, that's the last thing I think anybody would ever call Brian Sovereign. Um, but yeah, I, I get it. I get it. And I don't think it's hard to find, to see these things. I don't think it's hard to, you know, to, to, to know when they're happening and all this stuff. I mean, it's just like they live right where, you know, Roddy Piper puts on the sunglasses and suddenly he sees what all the ads are really saying, you know? And, and I think when you read about this stuff with an open mind, not with just this attitude of, you know, feminism bad, uh, you, you know, you, you start to see exactly what they're talking about. Now, you know, just, I just want to speak quickly on this. I mean, as, as far as like, uh, you know, like you see this, okay. Let, let's see in movies, you're seeing male gaze become like, you know, suddenly you understand male gaze and you're like, wow, this is fucking everywhere. Obviously, if somebody wants to like make a federal regulation or a state regulation of some kind or whatever, saying that you can't allow for this in movies anymore, I'm not, I'm not going to support that. Most of the feminists I know, they're not going to support that kind of bullshit either. Okay. But just because it's such that, you know, with a lot of the, a lot of these different social justice issues, which you might want to chalk male gaze up to just because you disagree with what a lot of people that try to highlight these social justice issues, let's say, you know, just because they want to use the state and you disagree with using the state, which of course I do, you know, to, to enforce against these things, um, you know, it doesn't mean that it's not really a problem. You know, I, I think a, a huge problem that happens, uh, with, like especially with people that that are you know anti, say anti-feminism or anti-social justice and all this, is that, you know, they're like, well, they want to use the state, and so they write off the entire argument. When maybe there's validity to the argument, it's just the solution that people want to to fix the argument uh, is is anti-ethical and antithetical to actually solving it. You know, uh, like you're, I shouldn't say anti-ethical, but unethical, right? You know, because using the state, the state is unethical, <laughs> like in its very existence, right? Um, but I think that's, that's, I see that as a, you know, the amount of emails I got about the Wonder Woman review, I mean, I, I, I don't know when I'm going to get to them. And I, I think I'd like to have guests on really to talk about it. But I really, like folks, understand, yeah, okay, using the state is wrong, but that doesn't make their arguments invalid just because their solution is to use the state. They might still have a point. It's too, anarchists are, are too quick to just write shit off because the solution is the state. That doesn't mean that there isn't a problem just because the solution is, is, is totally unethical and immoral. So anyway, um, yeah, I, ho I hope that answered that. It, I mean, and it can be a fine line sometimes between what is objectification and what's celebration. Uh, but I, I, I don't think it's hard to, to, to differentiate. I don't think it's, it's I really don't, um, you know, kind of, kind of between the two. 
So, and certainly, you know, depending on somebody's mindset can change a whole lot of things into a whole lot of different ways. So, you know, there's some subject, subject, subjectivity, you know, uh, uh, inside, you know, inside all of that. Um, I mean, we talked about this with Wonder Woman. Like, a lot of people think that all the bondage in Wonder Woman comics is like, uh, it, you know, it's anti-women. Like, it, it's, it's misogyny because she's constantly being bound. When actually, if you understand the creation of Wonder Woman, if you understand the history of Wonder Woman in, in the real world, not, not the fictional history um, in the, or the fictional creation, but like the real creation, the real history of Wonder Woman, you'd understand that it's actually a celebration of a lifestyle that the creators practiced, that being BDSN. Okay, so it was in there, you know, to, to, to make a point. It wasn't in there to, to tie up women, you know, and say women are inferior or something like this or, or as, I mean, I guess it's kind of a sex fantasy, but it's not like objectification, right? Once you understand the context of what's going on here. And so context is always, it's always, it's, it's everything. And, I, and yes, it can be hard sometimes to find context. I do get that. We're going to talk about that more in just a minute, um, about context with, with comic book movies in particular. But yeah, I, I hope what I said wasn't, wasn't too confusing or, or anything. You can, you can pare down your questions if you want as well, uh, even more, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to get to it. So, okay, uh, let's see. I want, I want to get to another. Th- this was actually very, it was on, on Twitter, a uh, very simple question. What are your thoughts on defooing? Woo, there's a hot topic right there. Uh, and kind of an older one <laughs> in, um, in Liberty Circles. So defooing is foo, F-O-O, it means, stands for family of origin. And it is this term that is commonly used uh, in the free domain radio community. I'm not saying it's the only place, but anyway, uh, f- family of origin. And defooing is, means getting away from and like getting out of your life entirely. You don't talk to them anymore. I'm being very basic in my description here. Um, getting rid of your family of origin. Um, Stefan Molyneux has been a major supporter of this for a long, long time. Um, I've had friends in the past who totally defood, uh, you know, to where they, they don't talk to their, and I mean, and you do it like, it's not like, oh, I just need to get away from my parents or something. The, the idea is, is that your parents may have been so traumatic and so terrible to you as a child, uh, whether they, you know, were consciously or unconsciously, you know, unconsciously as in they were repeating trauma, traumas from their own childhood. Um, if they were, you know, affecting you. Uh, and that you just, you know, they're not making, and, and when you talk to them about it, they don't want to make any kind of amends. They don't want to uh, empathize with you and perhaps work with you through your trauma that they inflicted. And maybe even like after, after effect, you know, get through their traumas as well as parents. Um, some people see defooing as like a very cultish act. Okay. Uh, and I, th- so, all right, let, let me, let me, let me backtrack here. So defooing itself, like, are there times where you need to completely, like, mentally and in the real world, like, write off your family, you know, like your nuclear family that you came from and say, look, I'm not, I can't talk to you people anymore. I'm not going to do this. Uh, You know, we're not on the same path, blah, blah, blah. That's a totally valid thing to do. Of course it is. Absolutely. I've, I mean, I didn't know what defooing was, but that's what I did. Um, When I, when I moved to New Hampshire, like, I just... I, I just had to cut my entire family off, you know, be, I mean, for a slew of reasons, you know, I mean, and, and I consider them to be very legitimate. I mean, I could go down the fucking list, but I think that's getting a little too personal for right here. You know, that's, that's, that's a whole other conversation maybe for another time. I'm not afraid to share about it, but anyway, we don't, we don't need to spend another hour talking about, you know, my family life or my ex-family life, I guess you could say. 
Um, but I mean, I was going through a divorce. I mean, there, there, there's a lot packed in that. So anyway, yeah, I mean, I don't talk to, I don't talk to my parents anymore. Um, I don't talk to my, my siblings. I don't talk to, you know, anybody uh, in my family um, anymore. And so, uh, you know, because that it, it's key to happiness in my life, bottom line, um, and for me to be able to grow, you know. Uh, and so, yeah, obviously, I don't have a problem with defooing. I think it's a fine and dandy thing. I think there's points where absolutely it needs to be done. You know, now, there, the, the accusation that it's a cultish thing to do, um, I'll admit that I've had people tell me that they, or I've known people, people that I, I you know, that I've respected here and there. Uh, some not, that, <laughs> admittedly, but that, that they defood and they would have the conversation with me and they would talk about it. And, um, in my opinion, and again, you know, I'm only basing it off of what somebody's told me. There could be so much more that they don't tell. You know, speaking of like, we, we talked a little bit about rape culture earlier. Maybe it wasn't even fruitful to bring that up. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people say, well, we don't really have a rape culture. Well, let me tell you something. Child molestation is, is so commonplace. Just anecdotally, in my opinion, it, it's so commonplace, especially in the United States. I don't, and I respect, and I don't blame a single human being for not wanting to talk about it. You know, like they, they don't want to tell you about that. Okay. And maybe that was something that happened. Maybe the, the, the person who defooed, uh, you know, got away from their family, either consciously didn't want to talk about it or unconsciously knew it was happening. And that just kind of like would, um, would color a lot of what would otherwise seem to be very, very mundane things that their parents had done to them that they decided to defoo for. So I'm open to that. I don't, I want to be sensitive to that. Okay. This is serious shit, you know? Um, but the call, but you know, I have had people based upon what they've told me where I'm like, uh, no, like, <laughs> yeah, that, that's not all right that your parents did that, but that's a, that's a pretty small pittance to be saying, I'm never going to fucking talk to you again. And you son of a bitch, I'm going to write a terrible, you know, letter to you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, like where, where I, I go, yeah, I, I think you're taking this a little too far. And, and, and another thing that happens is, is that when you have kind of a community, I'm not talking about any particular community. It could be all kinds of different communities. Okay. Um, when you have a community where the concept of say defooing, whether it's called defooing in that community or not, when that's considered the cool thing to do, um, people are more likely to do it when it's not, when it's not needed and it may even be harmful. Um, there's another Jake DeSillis of the voluntary life. One of my favorite podcasts, he did an episode where he talked about this, where, you know, like when really young people are being told to defoo, like real, you know, like teenagers or, you know, pre 20, maybe even early twenties or something like that, when they don't have like a social net in which to, you know, hopefully either build themselves up entrepreneurially or, or in some other way, um, having them defoo. I mean, you know, you, you're creating a generation of homeless people that are just mad at the world and, and they're going to start, I mean, and this, these are my words, these, and, and I'm paraphrasing. So if I misquoted Jake, who I consider a good friend, um, you know, I apologize, but I think his point is sound like that. That's, I mean, if your parents are beating you, of course you got to fucking get away. Money be damned. You know, uh, there's, there's, it's such a complex subject. Okay. But that, so I guess I just, you, you know, it's just be careful with that. All right. That can be taken too far. And when something like defooing can be considered like, this is like, like it's some kind of rite of passage. That's a problem. 
But defooing itself is absolutely legitimate. I think, like I said, I've done it. I, I, I'm, I have defooed. You know, again, I didn't call it that. I didn't know that that's what it was. It's just what I knew I needed to do to be able to survive, you know, uh, and, and to be happy, which is the point of life. Um, so I did it. Um, so yeah, I, I have, I have absolutely no problem with, 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 with defooing. However, that comes with caveats that I think there, that there can be like the concept of defooing can become harmful. It can, I'm not saying it is inherently, I'm saying it can be, and those are things to watch out for. Um, and also keep in mind, we don't know everybody's story. No one can ever really know another person's story all the way. You just can't. You know, there can be enough things to where you can say, yeah, no, I, I think that's totally justified. I think, you know, and, and, and again, it's, it all comes down to the individual. Um, do you even need a reason necessarily to do foo? Uh, no, you can just choose to. It's like, ah, I don't, I mean, because, you know, family can kind of suck, right? Like, it's not, it's not a chosen group of people in your life. It's not like friends where you choose your friends. Um, it's it's an, kind of, it's, it's sort of an odd, unchosen obligation in life. You know, that, that is a very odd thing. So you don't really need a good reason to walk away from them. I think claiming that they, my point where, where defooing is, where, where someone says that they defooed, like sometimes the reasons they give, I think are, are kind of like, are, are kind of outlandish. Like, I, I think that they're, they're going way, way too far. Um, so yeah, you know, if you want to defood, yeah, go ahead and just defood. You don't have to have a good reason for that, you know? <laughs> and if your parents love you, they should they really, you know, as stewards, they should just be like, oh, well, okay. You know, I understand they might want to, you want to in the life in, in their, you know, they might want you in their life, but they should also respect your choices, uh, you know, ac- across the board as, as good stewards, you know, of, of your life. Um, and if you ever need them or want to talk to them again, you know, then they can, they can be a part of it again, you know, but I, I think some of the justifications that I hear at times, like they, people would be better off, just don't justify it. Because, like, I really think you're, 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 you know, you're really, really stretching. Um, what's the term? What's the phrase I'm looking for? Uh, yeah, I, I just, I think the reasons being given are, you know, just, just, just don't give a reason because the reasons you're giving are, are, aren't really reasons. They're, <laughs> you're, you're just kind of like stretching things to, 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 to kind of fit like the life narrative that you want. And I, yeah, I don't, I don't dig it. So, okay. Um, yeah, that's defooing. No, I have no problem. I think it's a concept that is, that is worth talking about, describing, maybe even having a book about out there, blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, no issue for me. So there, there, there you go. Other than what I described where it can be used in, uh, like, you, you know, it has the potential to be, like the concept itself has the potential to be abused to where things can become uh, maybe maybe cultish or uh, ultimately harmful to the individual when they think that the concept that, that they're enacting is something that's actually helpful and it might not be. So uh, there you go. Okay, uh, let's see. We've got a little bit of time left. Um, let's, oh man, I have one more question. I don't want to end on that fucking note. <laughs> uh, so let, let's let's get to our last question. Maybe I won't spend a ton of time on this. It, it's not a question that requires it. So you talk a lot about comic book movies, um, which, yes, I do. I do f- reviews of a lot of comic book movies on Patreon itself. You don't have to listen to them, okay? Just because I release something on Patreon does not mean you have to listen to all of it to get it, you know? Uh, anyway, should I get into them if I don't read comic books? It seems like you need a lot of understanding of the history to get them. Um, and then there's some more. Well, yeah. I think that's the basic gist. 
Okay, n- n- no. You, you know, in fact, honestly, like most, especially modern comic book movies, I mean, Wonder Woman was great, but, and like a movie like Iron Man it was, was genuinely great. But most comic book movies, and, and understand also Wonder Woman and Iron Man, like those two movies, two different universes, Marvel, DC. Okay, um, they, they could stand on their own. They don't need, that's one of the beautiful things, about, especially about the original Iron Man film, is that it doesn't need the Marvel Cinematic Universe for it to make sense. Uh, Wonder Woman does not either. It really, it really doesn't. Um, I'd love to see an Ultimate Edition of Wonder Woman, where maybe they put in some of the scenes from like Batman v Superman, to give a little more context to, to her opening scene uh, and ending scene, but you know, in, in the, in the Wonder Woman uh, standalone film, but it, it's, it's, that's just, a, it's a standalone film. You know, it, it could, no matter what justice league does or anything, and no matter what other movies Gal Gadot's in, uh, she could, you know, like that movie could stand alone for all time. So anyway, um, uh, the point I was going to make is that, yeah, there's a couple like Wonder Woman or Iron Man. Dr. Strange was pretty good though. It, and that's also kind of a standalone film, though. Doctor Strange, like the reason that that was good was because like the visual style was so unique. It's not like anything else, I, at least in my opinion, outside of maybe the works of Alejandro Jodorowsky that I've ever seen like in any other film. And so that's that's what kind of made that cool. It's not because the story is great. Story is not actually even that great. Um, but, you know, the acting's great, but whatever. Anyway, so point being <laughs> that I was getting at is that most modern superhero movies suck. Uh, Like, they really suck. Uh, I don't mind that they're interconnected at all. In fact, I think that's kind of cool. But their interconnectedness also seems to be an an odd weakness in that you're never going to have these characters die because, you know, you're franchising these people. Uh, I mean, in comic books, it's it's just as bad, admittedly. Like, they'll kill off a character. They'll kill off Captain America. He'll be back next year. You know, they'll kill off Superman. He'll be back next year. Uh, they'll kill off Green Lantern. He'll be back in five years. You know, I mean, like, nobody ever really seems to die in comic books anyway. But there's this constant appeal to the widest demographics possible with comic book movies. Wonder Woman is no exception to this. Um, you know, so you're expecting a lot of kids to come in there. They're not going to kill off major characters. They're, they're just not. But overall, like, like I said, comic book movies really do suck. Um, like, yeah, Captain America Civil War was pretty good, but it wasn't like... I, I didn't understand why that movie, why, why people thought that that one was that great. The only good thing in that was, like, was, was, was Black Panther. Um, so, you know, you can see comic book movies with two sets of eyes, okay? You can see it as a comic book fan with, like, a, like you have a ton of comic book knowledge, or you can just see it as somebody that doesn't know anything about comic books and you kind of go in and, you know, you, you check it out and, you know, maybe you like it. Maybe you, you dig the action and, and maybe you don't. But I think like, like Captain America Civil War, like that was cool because I know about the character of Black Panther, one of my favorite comic book characters. And so to finally see him like really put that movie on for me. Otherwise, I thought the movie was kind of boring. Like objectively, especially Marvel's movies, and look, I'm not saying anything, like Suicide Squad was fucking terrible. Um, the original version of Batman v Superman, not the Ultimate Edition, was pretty rough shit. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not like praising the modern DC movies in any way, shape, or form. Okay, but the Marvel movies in particular today are terrible. They're, I mean, they're like, they're objectively, the villains are not developed. The villains suck. 
Okay, which is one of the great things about comic books is usually it gives you the time to give depth depth to the villains as well as the heroes, which is what creates such uh, long-lasting and memorable stories is when everybody has so much depth to their character. Okay, the movies are terrible about that. So you have no really you have no real great motivations for the villains in these things. Uh, the music is usually very subpar. I haven't heard a great Marvel soundtrack. Uh, well, maybe the first Iron Man, that, that was a, that was a cool soundtrack. I dug that, but otherwise you, you just, you, you don't hear great. Uh, in fact, that was by that Raman. I, I forget the rest of his name, but he also did the soundtrack for Westworld. Um, but I mean, like there's just, there's so much wrong with these movies. There is a lack of dramatic depth that you just don't get. I mean, these are, these are really bad films, whether you're a comic book fan or not. Comic book, being a comic book fan can enhance the movie to some degree because you're getting to see certain things come to life finally. But then also it can make them bad films when they stray from kind of the fidelity of the source material. Okay, or, you know, when they don't pay fidelity to the source material, when they stray from the continuity that you've maybe grown up with and loved for, you know, 36 years or something, right? Or 30 years. Uh, so, yeah. <sighs> Um, you, you don't have to read comic books to get comic book movies, but then at the same time, like, I, I think unless you're really, I, I think unless you're a child and there's nothing wrong with that, obviously, uh, I think these movies are terrible. They're so boring. They're so, uh, formulaic and the formula also has nothing to really to offer other than, you know, just a, a shit ton of like action and violence and whatever else. Um, I mean, you could say that Captain America has some great quotes in some of his movies, you know, and, and yeah, that that's nice, you know, but if I want fucking great quotes, I mean, there's a billion books and a lot of other movies and shows that I could watch that would do a lot more for me, you know, for my little inner anarchist. Okay. <laughs> so I, you know, that doesn't really excite me, <laughs> you know, that, that Captain America says something really amazing. Um, so, yeah, comic book movies overall, like, especially if you've never read comics, don't bother with the movies. I don't think there's anything really to get out of them. I think they're shit. You know, Wonder Woman would be an ex- I mean, not all comic book movies. I'm talking about modern ones. I'm sorry. Okay, for example, so, like, Wonder Woman is, is, a, is one where I think it bucks the trend. I think Man of Steel is a great movie as well. Um, I know not everybody agrees with that. Uh, I think Iron Man... Iron Man and Iron Man 2. Iron Man 2 is good as well. Uh, but Iron Man in particular was a great movie. Uh, in fact, Iron Man, really, Iron Man 1, that movie kicked off everything that's going on in comic book movies right now. Like, I mean, it just, it, it, it totally, you know, this is it. And at least with Iron Man, like, you had some background for the villain. Like, you, you know, uh, Jeff Bridges did, a, did just a, a top-notch job with that. Um but, you know, previous to that, like, I mean, the Batman, like Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy, despite everything we were talking about with male gaze, those are genuinely great movies. Um, particularly Batman Begins, I think is the best one. Uh, I love that movie. Uh, the original Superman films, fantastic, you know, with Christopher Reeves. Uh, I mean, some people don't like three or four. That's fine. I can appreciate that. Uh, but certainly one and two by Richard Donner were were. I mean, the first, I've said this before, the first Superman movie is often considered from 78 is often considered the last American classic. Uh, like, you know, there's, there's classic films. Then there's sort of, you know, like, then you get into like maybe seventies, eighties films or, or, you know, more eighties films and things like this. But like the classic era of films stopped with Superman, uh, you know, the 78 Superman. That's where, because what happened is, is that Superman made everything look so legit. Like, 
like one of the the taglines for the seventy eight Superman was you'll you you know you will believe a man can fly. Yep, you believed it. They made it look that good. No CGI. They made it look like Superman was flying. Remarkable film. Uh, I I mean just just perfect. It is a perfect movie. The John Williams score. Christopher Reeves, you wouldn't think he could pull off a Superman. He pulls it off. Uh, Marlon Brando brings so much epicness to the character of Jarrell. Um, the villains in it. Uh, well, I mean, Lex Luthor, you know, I, I mean, it's fucking Gene Hackman. Come on. It's Gene Hackman. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's perfect. Uh, Superman 2, I think, is, is not as good. Uh, but it's it's still a you know they made Superman one and Superman two at the same time. Richard Donner was making the both, but I think Superman two is very good. Uh, the Richard Donner cut I like a lot. Um, I mean the quote with you know Terrence Stamp playing General Zod, amazing. Sarah Douglas uh, playing another one of kind of the the Kryptonian villains. Uh, she was just, I mean so so sexy for all the reasons a woman should be sexy for the power. Uh, for the great lines, you know, all, all these different things. I mean, I, I, Sarah Douglas, what a tremendous actress, you know, especially like Conan the Destroyer and all that. It just, she could deliver, man, she could deliver. Anyway, but, you know, Terrence Stamp's classic line, you know, comes on the Jarrell, kneel, kneel before Zod. I mean, they're, they're like, awesome, you know? So the classic superhero movies, I think, offer a lot more than anything the modern movies bring on like the modern movies are such shit um i review every uh for like the dc animated universe i review every animated movie that dc releases now on the page on patreon because i think those are genuinely very good um i don't think and most of those are are some kind of an origin story like the 2009 wonder woman animated movie is in my opinion leaps and bounds better than than what the wonder woman that that's out now that everybody's talking about uh but you know, I mean, that almost got an R rating. I mean, it was that that intense. Uh, but a lot of those are often origin stories, and it's a great way to get introduced to the characters and all this. I think those you can kind of watch on your own. But but again, with the animated movies, I really I don't think you need to have any kind of real comic book knowledge. I mean, most people know Batman shtick. You know Superman shtick. You know Wonder Woman shtick. It, we don't need all these origin stories, but oftentimes they'll still deliver them, and it's and it, you know, and it can be interesting when it's done right. Uh, I mean, the first Superman movie is is an origin story done right. Batman Begins is an origin story done right. Um, you know, not not all of these origin stories are done right, especially when it comes to Marvel. Most of them are not. Uh, so, I mean, really, how many how many different? You know, that, there's another one. Okay, I was just about to say, how many different Spider-Man movies do we need? Seriously, I mean, it's it's fucking annoying as hell. Um, I thought that was that was that ninety eight. When Spider-Man came out, the first Spider-Man with uh, uh, Seabiscuit there, Tobey Maguire, um, I thought that movie was incredible. Uh, I like, I really liked uh, the first Spider-Man movie. Like that, that spoke to me in so many. And I'm not a Spider-Man fan at all. I mean, I know Spider-Man. I read the McFarlane run. I know the deal. Okay. I mean, I, I read all kinds of runs. I read Straczynski's run with Spider-Man. I mean, I I, I know the character intimately, but uh, I'm not a Spider-Man fan. But that movie was was solid, and and I I think every Spider-Man film has gone downhill since. I mean, I like Spider-Man two. I even kind of like Spider-Man three, but Spider-Man one, woo, that's a great one. Um, so you know, and then there's the the X-Men movies, but they stand on their own. They're their own little universe. Uh, there's certainly a lot of joy to be taken from those. Uh, 
I mean, I could I could talk about that forever, but you don't need to know anything about the X-Men to get that. That's another one where, like, you know, a lot of these comic book characters, the big ones, are such a part of our cultural lexicon that, I mean, you don't need to read comic books at all, you know, really to, to get what's happening on screen. Um, so, no, you don't have to read comic books to watch them. But then I would also challenge and say, by and large, at least out of the modern ones that are coming out now, you don't need to see them. You know, you don't, you don't, like, they're not even great movies. They're shit. You know, every Avengers movie has been largely terrible. The Captain America movies have been terrible. Um, Ant-Man, what the fuck? Uh, I mean, you kind of go down the list. I I really, I think they're all boring and they're formulaic and nothing of any real substance is ever going to happen in these movies. They're just not. Guardians of the Galaxy, those are good. Yep, those are good. (laughs) But they they were kind of standing on their own as well. They're not going to anymore because it's such a big property. But like the first Guardians of the Galaxy, that was was a rock-solid movie. Uh, So, yeah, but you don't, with Guardians of the Galaxy, like, most comic book fans don't know shit about Guardians of the Galaxy. They really don't. Okay, so yeah, you could enjoy that without seeing, you know, without reading comic books and all that. So you don't need the history. But then, like I said, one more time, you really don't need to watch them. <laughs> There's other movies I would watch. I mean, I could think of a billion movies I'd watch before I'd watch another Marvel film. Really. <laughs> they, it just doesn't, you know, Iron Man, Guardians, I don't know. Otherwise, they don't really hold up for me. Uh you know, there's, there's some stuff from the past, like past Marvel films. Like I said, Spider-Man. Um, I love the original David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury. Yeah, David Hasselhoff played Nick Fury in the 90s. It was great. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of those, yeah, I could dig that. But that's all, that's really when people think superhero films and comic book films, they're thinking all the modern MCU and even what the DCU is trying to do. And most of that's shit, you know. Um so, which is ironic, you know, and I, and I get it. I, I'll just, I'll, I want to end off with this. It's ironic that, like, so in the DCEU, how many movies do we have? There's there's Man of Steel, which kicked it off. Then there's um, Batman v Superman. Then there's Suicide Squad. And then there's Wonder Woman. So you got, really, you only have four movies. Now, there's genuine concerns coming up. In fact, there's apparently a bunch of, like, Joss Whedon took over production of Justice League from Zack Snyder because Zack Snyder's daughter died. Uh, I don't know all the details around that. Um, And apparently there's a lot of reshoots going on. So Justice League looks like it might end up being a completely different movie than what was originally planned and probably than what you're seeing in the trailer when it comes out in, like, November, which is amazing. (laughs) The the tight schedules these things get made with. Uh, You know, today, where it used to take years and years and years. Um, But... Yeah, I mean, you have four movies there, right? Like I said, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad, and Wonder Woman. Even if you don't count the Ultimate Edition, which I would say is a good movie of Batman v Superman, you hit, like, it's two for two. To say that the DCEU sucks, no, you have two great movies there. You have have Man of Steel and you have Wonder Woman. Like, those are great movies. Uh, And so, and then you have two that, yeah, are questionable. You know, or... I mean, if, if you count the Ultimate Edition, like I said, I think it's a good film. So really, you have, th- you know, out of four movies, let's say you can count the Ultimate Edition, you've got three out of four great movies. What the fuck are people talking about that the DCU sucks? You know, and, and I'm not, look, I'm not playing DC fanboy, even though, yes, I readily admit that I like DC way more than I like Marvel uh, by a long shot. But still, you know, I think Marvel's track record's far worse because they put out they put out you know two movies two superhero movies a year and and most of them are bad <laughs> so so I, I don't I don't quite get people's argument that all oh, the DC you know EU sucks or anything um, 
I mean, I, I can I can get it. I can kind of understand it, especially if somebody doesn't like Man of Steel. And there's some genuine critiques to make against Man of Steel, but I, I still think that was a, that was an awesome movie. Uh, I mean, the music, the the scenes on Krypton alone were so worth it. Um, but whatever. Anyway, that that that's it. Enough, enough, enough shit. We we've talked about. We, we went into some deep subjects. I hope I made sense in uh, in what I was saying. Um, like I said, potentially next Thursday, the fifteenth, I believe that'll be. We might be doing our live Q and A hangout again uh, for June. We're gonna do one for June either way. It's just when. And right now, that's that's what it's looking at. So uh, that's enough for me. Uh, I have some more stuff out uh, this week for you as well. Uh, maybe comic book stuff related. Uh, and whew, I will see you on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.